Episode 226 of the Bevan James Isle Show, an interview with gold medalist Hamish Carter. Radio team, welcome along to episode 226 of the Bevan James. I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Uh, we're in the Christmas holiday season here in New Zealand. Well, we are kind of everywhere in the world, but in New Zealand, not everywhere in the world has big holidays. Where it's our summer in New Zealand, so we have this massive holiday period right now, and I am officially on holiday. So today, I've actually grabbed an interview that I did on my triathlon podcast with a man by the name of Hamish Carter. Now, many people in New Zealand will know Hamish Carter. He is an Olympic gold medalist. And if you know triathlon, you'll know Hamish Carter. But if you aren't in either a New Zealander or you're not really a big triathlon fan, you may not know who Hamish Carter is. Basically, he's one of the greatest athletes of all time. Uh, won the Olympic gold medal in Athens, I think in 2004. Uh, just yeah, absolutely phenomenal career. So I interviewed him earlier this year on my other podcast, and I, the interview is done with both myself and the the other host of that podcast, a guy by the name of John Newsom. Uh, it's a really good, it's, it is a triathlon-specific interview. We do talk a lot about triathlon, but it's also just really interesting talking to someone about their sporting career. And, and obviously, Hamish is somebody who got to the highest level of sport, the Olympic gold medal. So there's just some really cool insight in this interview so I kind of thought in the holiday period because it is downtime I you know I thought instead of not putting a show out I'll put this interview up for you guys to have a listen to so you can have that in the holiday period I will be back in two weeks and I've actually already arranged my first interview for the year so we're back to the normal normal episodes in I think I think they'll be released on the 10th of January now, before we get into the interview, I just want to say a big thank you to the patrons, and if you want to become a patron of the show, all you need to do is go to bevanjamesisles.com, go to podcast, go to support me, go through the process. Giving a little bit of your hard-earned money my way is just a great way to support the show. And when you do, you get a cool nickname, and these are some of the people who are patrons of the show. Paula, the powerful Punisher Green. We've got Marion, the Momentum Clat. We've got George, Wild Bill Baker. We've got Mary, I've Got the Power. We've got Ginger, uh, the Governor Dave. And we've got Phoebe, the Stark Sanders. These are all patrons of the show. So if you want to become a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com. Go through the process and support me in what I do. Here is my interview with Hamish Carter. Okay, team, uh, as you heard earlier in the show, we've got Hamish Carter on today. He's Olympic gold medalist, three-time world championship medalist, uh, 1998 World Cup winner. That was in the days when the World Cup was like the World Triathlon Series we see these days, and also Commonwealth Games medalist, and recently back from the Tokyo Olympics. So welcome along, Hamish. Oh, hi. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good to be home. A legend. That's what he is. First, first night in bed last night after spending two weeks in Christchurch. Let's not even go there, John. Let's <laughs> not, even go, not there. go there. Yeah, um, too fresh. <laughs> <laughs> now, a lot of our Kiwi listeners are going to know your, your sort of background, but we've got a lot of internationals as well that won't know sort of your pre-triathlon days. So from my recollections, you started triathlon at a pretty late age, around sort of 21 or so. So correct me if I'm wrong there and maybe give people a bit of an insight into you know, life before triathlon for you. Yeah, sure. I think I was a typical um, kid growing up in New Zealand, you know, 
had the opportunity to be part of um, lots of different sports. Kind of enjoyed it. I was the youngest in a pretty big family, and I think the uh, for some reason, sport gave me a means to be noticed. Not that I was, um, I had a bad family life. It was amazing, but that that you know there was um, had had a five five of us in the family, so heaps of uh, opportunities to do stuff. Pretty lucky, really. And yeah, I think I think sport was just a means that gave me a real kind of place of uh, an identity, I guess. Um, I pretty much did a lot of sports and I guess learned pretty early on that I was good at stuff that was really hard um, and kind of just was able to <laughs> persevere. I think I was reasonably good at sport. Like I could do stuff pretty well. And then, um, but, you know, I think most of you will know I was mainly a rower at school mm. and which I sort of, uh, for some reason, was a bit delusional, but thought that I could be go to the Olympics with throwing. And even though I guess my part of my inspiration was had been John Walker and having him having seen him won the uh, fifteen hundred meters at the Olympics, it's very much part of me was wanting to pursue that just because it was it just looked um, amazing. Mm. And you know, I think coming from New Zealand, you saw a New Zealander able to achieve at that level you thought well I don't know if I thought it was possible but it was let's say within reach um and so then yeah but for some reason rowing was the main thing and then wasn't that big so uh because it was okay at rowing and awkward grammar but just tried to hang in there for as long as I could then when I wasn't like six foot three I was never really gonna be able to survive for much longer so once I left school um yeah just uh, progressed into triathlon and yeah it wasn't um wasn't that flash at first but I think I had a real strength in the sport once I kind of could do the three disciplines and started to get some success and then from there just started to head overseas and took opportunities as they came my way but it was pretty pretty much figure it out as you go pretty much make every every mistake along the way and um, I think I was just lucky from an early age to get the right people around me and really good coach and management support. There was no real program. It was just trying to figure it out for yourself. And it's quite daunting going over to Europe or America and trying to do some races and you have no idea what you're doing really, but it's kind of funny at the time. You just kind of figure it out. So, yeah, and so managed to get through in first Olympics in Sydney that was a shocker. Wait, wait, wait. You're, wait, you're wait, jumping you're way too, too far. So yeah. question, question, question I have for you is, is so you're kind of, you know, a pretty good athlete as a kid. Find out rowing is not going to really be your buzz or at least the potential to go where you're going to. So you kind of leave school. Had you given up on the athletic dream at that point? Or was it, you know, like, did you still have a dream of going on to being an Olympian or something like that moment? Or was it more you're starting to build a career and triathlon was this thing you're trying on the side? Um, I think I just had a, uh, I don't know if whether it was just determination or bloody mindedness, but I just felt that that was that was um, who I was, and that's what I had to do. Yeah. And I guess I never really thought if I would ever make it. Um, I, I just, yeah, I just had to try, and I think um, it was just the determination, really, probably that I got from my parents, and and um, but just the sense that 
yeah, despite probably not being able to make it or, or the, the challenges that were ahead of me, um, I was like, well, I'm going to try anyway just because it's in front of me and it's like um, I think I may have a chance, but, you know, you're a long way from making it at that point. You're just really going day to day. And I think the big part of it is I enjoyed the work. Um, I enjoyed, yeah, the training was hard and that, that sort of suited me. So I just kind of just day after day, things started to build up and I had good, as I said, really good people around me who were advising and helping me. Since the 92, you went off to World Champs and you finished in 61st place. It was over in Muskoka and in Canada yep. and Simon Messing won that one. That was still pretty early days. When you came back from that event, you know, where were you at? I don't know if you had any issues that race or it was just you got your socks blown off, but coming coming <laughs> back from 92, what, what, were your, what was your thought processing like? Uh, yeah, I was pretty shell-shocked. I, I got over there and I got destroyed and I suddenly realised that um, I'd been pretty good in New Zealand, but then I thought, golly, I'm not that good. Mm-hmm. I think what really mattered was for some reason I had in my head that there were athletes in New Zealand that were the best in the world at the sport, and that was the likes of Rick Wells and you know there was Aaron Baker. There was a lot of other athletes as well who were super good at that point. Even our, some of our juniors were really good. Like, you know, had guys like Paul Amy and Cameron Brown and, I don't know, was Jamie Hunt in the mix? He was. There was lots of good juniors, and, I, and they were kind of almost the best in the world. And you got to see their level, and you kind of were trying to rise to it. And I think automatically that kind of that momentum was around you where you're lucky enough to experience it. So you just got carried along a bit by that, really. You just kind of felt, well, you know, if they're going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to just see how long I can, um, how good I can get. Well, 93 was complete contrast because I remember actually going to the national champs in Tauranga. It was my first ever Olympic distance race. Dropped my drink bottle early in the bike ride. It was a nice warm day and (laughs) that didn't end up well. Um, But I remember you absolutely smoking that race by some ridiculously large margin. And then you kind of, 93, you kind of just hit your straps and went from strength to strength and got third at the Manchester World Champs behind um, Spencer Smith and, and Simon Lessing. So what, what sort of clicked between getting 61st in 92 and then being, you know, a, you know contender. a contender in 93 and third at the World Champs? I think the main factor there was I, I don't it wasn't, uh, whether it was by design or... Um, I couldn't really say, but I guess I identified early on that if I put myself alongside the best athletes I could, then I'm going to be at their level, um, which is presumptuous, I know, but that's, you know, you think quite simply when you're younger. Hey, it worked. (laughs) Yeah, it did. And I I went, I got the opportunity to go to Europe and spend um, six months with a group of Australians. And like that trip was hard. I was, I didn't never traveled and I was over there and pretty homesick and I didn't enjoy it a lot, but I certainly trained hard and I was, I just got an incredibly um, um, degree of fitness and I was super strong and um, that's why the race went the way it did. But yeah, as a first trip overseas, not really knowing what to expect and not really having any money and and really just racing from race to race to, to survive. I think the toughness of that um, taught me a lot around the fact that I'm lucky to have this opportunity. And if it's really tough, then it's really, really hard. But that's just, 
it's kind of what you did. And mm. I think it just kind of is a reckoning that you decide, well, if this is what it's going to take and I'm willing to do what it takes, uh, then I just want to keep doing it for as long as I can. And yeah, so that's really what I was able to do. I mean, I, I raced well that year, but I didn't really know why I raced well. So um, although I figured things out for that particular day, I was very much not that good at replicating it. So it took a number of years to pinpoint, you know, how do I perform under pressure when it matters most? And it, and it took me a long time to, yeah, to figure that out. Do, do you remember at that moment? And, and I hear what you're saying there is that it was kind of a kind of a bit of a roller coaster in performance, or at least understanding of performance. But at that time, was there kind of some breakthrough moments in your inner belief about your ability to actually be a contender and kind of think more ambitiously about your career? Yeah, for sure. You, you results do give you belief, or, or good training sessions make you believe that you're good enough. Um, I think the hard thing is, is when you're good enough and you stuff it up and you can't replicate what you're doing in training and you're kind of like, what is wrong? What's, why is this not working? Or why are you doing a hard training session and you don't recover properly? And you're like, what's happening? Why can't I get what I could do last week? I can't do this week. And I think it's very much the, um, it's very much the path you've got to walk. And it's kind of the part of being a professional athlete, which, uh, this is where you know having the right people around you is really really important because they're all, they're there to sort of help you figure it out. Um, it's a very complex sport to get right, and unfortunately you're going to get it mostly wrong before you get it right. And then again, so you've got to yeah you've got to bring a really um, what I'd call a disciplined approach to learning, and and kind of making mistakes for sure, but um, you know learning from them each time those happen and trying to constantly improve. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, the hardest thing was, is when you, when you know you're good enough to be in a certain position in a race and you just get demolished and you just can't get, a lot of it is like, there's no reason for it. You just went that good that day. You just got to let it go and move on. And so it's, it's a, it's a really, it was a tough journey, but, um, yeah, again, one that I was just willing to do whatever it takes and just keep, keep persevering really. So it's a 94 through to 99, you know, there was lots of success there, lots of podiums. You, you were consistently one of the sort of top performers on what was then the, the World Cup circuit. What, what, was, what did life look like? What did your year kind of look like? Um, you know, being based in New Zealand, it's different to elsewhere in the world. So what, how did your year sort of map itself out? Well, at the start of each year, um, I'd sit down with my coach and we'd sort of figure out what's going to cost to run my campaign. And we'd have to make sure that with my manager, we had, you know, we had some money to pay for stuff. And, um, oops, sorry, that's the coffee machine. Um, <laughs> um, had to kind of look at it and think, well, if I want to spend three months in Europe and a month in America and a, a, a month in, in um, Japan, because that's where the World Cup races were. That's firstly, that's the first puzzle to solve. And then, um, and a very big part of Jack's early influence on me was, he said, the business you're in is not about going fast. He said, the only thing you need to be able to figure out is how do you go fast on demand, like when, when it matters. And although we had success um, as an athlete, I never was... I was quite good, but I wasn't really, really good at winning the big races. Mm. But that's what we spent so much of our time trying to figure out. So even if I won a World Cup, um, it was always the conversation was, well, okay, but 
that's fine. But it only it only matters if you can do that on the at the world champs. Like that's the race where you've got to deliver this performance. So um, a lot of the time was spent trying to figure that out because the adage that Jack had was anyone can go fast, but he said you've got to be able to go fast when when it matters. And so um, and that's the kind of a whole other layer of complexity. Um, and uh, and so yeah, it was quite difficult. I was racing well enough to make prize money that kind of helped me, and I had some amazing sponsors that sort of supported me. Yeah, because without those two things, um, it wasn't really that possible. And again, you couldn't travel with your coach. There was no physio support. Um, but that was okay. That was just kind of what it was like. And so you just kind of dealt with it. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's a real jigsaw puzzle. It's, it's uh, you know, again, still a lot was going wrong. And, um, and, and a lot of my races, I was getting seconds and thirds a lot because Simon Lessing and Brad Bevan and <laughs> they were just... I couldn't beat them. It was, it was, <laughs> I, I felt like a lot of my career through that period wasn't successful. I was probably, oh, really? hard on myself, but yeah, I felt like I just won, I didn't win anything. I was not that good at performing at the world champs. Um, and I usually get really annoyed about that. And so in a way, although that was a good period of my career, I felt like I, I hadn't mastered the sport. So there was a real determination to get better and um, I wasn't happy with third or second. I, I was like, I don't know, I just wanted to win races and I didn't win many to be fair. So that was, kind of, that was sort of happening in the background of my mindset, I guess, through that period. Talk, talk a little bit about those rivals because, um, yeah, you mentioned probably three that I had on the list here, a couple of them, Brad Bevan and Simon Lessing, and I had Miles Stewart down there as well. So how did, how did you sort of figure out how to, to beat them? Because you did um, on occasions and, you you know, you beat Lessing, I think it was the 97 world champs, you managed to get one up on him, but then buddy Chris McCormick was there that day as well. So yeah, how, did you, yeah. how did you try to figure out how to, to beat those guys? Yeah, so everything. You, you try and take them out on the swim. You try and take them <laughs> on the bike. You try and um, they generally were faster runners than me. I mean, the '97 World Champs in Perth, where I did beat Simon, um, we ran out of transition together. And again, on that day, I felt that Simon was the athlete who was going to win the World Champs. So I pegged myself to him. And it was a mistake because Chris McCormick was up the road and I got to about 7K and I realised suddenly that Simon, I was stronger than him. And then I only had 3Ks left to try and get across to Chris, but it was too late. And so again, you know, the ability to deliver a winning performance on demand uh, wasn't in my repertoire. I hadn't, hadn't figured it out. And, um, and that was the kind of the conversation, you know, you're happy to be on the podium, but then you're like, well, I know I can beat him. I just need to figure out how. And so um, it was, yeah, it was, it was frustrating sometimes, but um, uh, that's kind of the, yeah, it was kind of the thing. I mean, there were races where Brad Bevan in particular, uh, or Simon, would come out of transition running and they would probably put 10 seconds on me in the first K of the run. And uh, no matter what I did, you know, they just, they just kept on being able to do it. 
uh, and you just, yeah, for race after race, when that happens every single time, you are trying different things. Um, but on reflection, it probably was quite a successful period of my career. I just was, yeah, not really, I should have probably been thinking, oh, it's actually going pretty well. And I'm actually, I'm actually having a good time here. I should actually give myself a break, but <laughs> I didn't really have anyone telling me that at the time. Although Jack was hugely supportive of what I was doing, obviously. Um, but yeah, we're both really, really intent on trying to figure out the, the, the peak, the pinnacle event, the pinnacle race each year and how do we win that. Just, just going back to Lessing, because, you know, there's been a few athletes who have actually dominated the sport for a period of time, and Lessing's one of them. What was his aura like? Oh, it was, it was amazing. He's, um, you know, I would have fallen into the trap of times of being beaten before the race because really? I just knew he was better. And it, I don't know if he was better, but he just, he was just really good, like really had no weaknesses, he was a super good racer. He was incredibly strong. Um, he worked as hard as anyone else. Uh, he just had figured the sport out. And he could, when he when he raced, he was like, yeah, really good. Um, it took me a couple of years to get my head around the fact that I could beat him. But, you know, um, yeah, he had, he had a very strong uh, sense about him and it sometimes was very intimidating, even though he didn't say anything. He was just the kind of guy who did, I think he did change triathlon and he, he took it to another level like the Brownleys did. Mm -hmm. um, but he was dominant, as Brad Bevan was, another you know, very good athlete on his day. It was incredible. So you talked a bit about your team. Maybe just um, share a bit of love to, to your team that, that kind of evolved over time. You talked about Jack Ralston, and and I know you must uh, – I mean, heard you talk too much before about your managers because you had a really good sort of – well, it seemed like you had a really good team of sponsors down here. So maybe talk a bit how that evolved and, and some of the people that were involved. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely Jack from a performance perspective and Roger Mortimer was, who's my manager, was kind of, um, from, was like, a, uh, if you draw two overlapping circles, Jack was the, um, was the athlete piece and the other overlapping circle was like the person piece and what Roger enabled me to, what helped, helped me to do is to kind of create a sense of, um, I guess in the early days of my brand and what sponsorships and opportunities he could, he could help me connect that to other organizations. And so, you know, we would work just as hard on um, getting and looking after sponsors as I did as an athlete. And so for me, there was my business and, uh, and Roger helped me do that. And then for me, for being an athlete, it was Jack who was trying to help me do that. And then you had, you know, another coach, Mark Bone, who's my um, swim coach. But that was, that's why I'm saying, you know, that's such a, a massive part of my success. And again, mostly, other, you know, all other Olympic, or many other Olympic campaigns that I've worked with that have been successful, you often can draw a direct line from their success towards a very capable and defined team around you mm. and, and each role that they're playing is enabling you to be that person that you need to become and so um yeah and then obviously um later in my career my uh, wife marissa was 
became a really, really um, important part of it as well, a real stable part and a piece of, you know, reality and the, the roller coaster ride of being an athlete. Um, sometimes you don't think of your partner being in your team as such, but because being an athlete is so encompassing of your life, you can't help but have that piece in there that kind of, in a way, balances and the glue that holds it all together because often it's overwhelming. So, yeah, those were some of the people and probably many others, but those were the main people involved. Mm. Um, knowing what you know now, you know, and we haven't even got to 2000 yet, but if you replayed the sort of the 90s period, would you have done much differently? And, and, and a second part to that question is, how has the, no, actually, no, do that one first. I'll come back to the other <laughs> one. I was going to get too much. Um. What I think the main thing I would have done is I would have got on board like a critical friend. And by that, I mean someone who's experienced in what I was trying to do, but could just look across everything I was doing. And with uh, my coach and manager and, and, and just kind of look at it and think, we're the th at, a, at a helicopter level, kind of a strategist, like, here are the conversations you're having. This is what you're putting your time and energy into. Um, have you thought about this? Or I see this as something that's not working quite right. Because you're so buried in it, um, you you're doing your best to figure it all out. But you I think it's really, really beneficial to have someone that's sitting a little bit further out of the circle and can look in across the across everything. Because I think for the most part, in triathlon, you're really trying to solve multiple problems that all interrelate. And so often you're too close to it. Even your coach is sometimes too close to it. So I would have put someone into a role within my campaign that had the authority to challenge everything and to be disruptive and to help um, us have conversations which we might not wanted to have. Because we kept making lots of mistakes over and over again, but we couldn't see it. So we just probably could have um, looked at things a little bit differently from time to time. Um, I'm not saying that would have made it easier. It probably would have made it harder, actually. But we might have got to the solutions a bit quicker because, um, yeah, sometimes you, you don't know what you're missing. You know, you want someone to be able to look at it from different perspectives. That would have been pretty helpful. So I know you've told, probably told this story quite a few times about the Olympics, but you know, going into Sydney, you were, as we've said, through the 90s, you were one of the real strong contenders and first Olympics, a lot of pressure and everything like that. Um, what was going through your mind as you, as you sort of stood on the start line in Sydney, knowing you were a favourite and first time triathlons ever up? Yeah, what was going through my mind? I mostly was terrified of what was about to happen. I, I figured that... Um, I had everything. I, in my head, I'd figured the sport out. I believed that I was ready. I believed um, I had this bizarre mindset that, um, what was the word? Um, it, it was, it was, it would be, I thought it would be um, just it was be it would be fair if I won the race. <laughs> oh really? Okay. It's my it's I deserve it kind of thing. Sorry, that's it. I, I was trying to think of the word, but I couldn't yeah. give it. Yeah. I was the deserving winner. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you can see that that's a ridiculous um perspective because 
there's 55 guys who all deserve it. And it's an arrogant perspective to think that you deserve it. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I was I was fixated on a medal. Uh, I had got too wrapped up in what I was going to do once I won the medal. Um, oh, really? So you actually was that, that far thinking ahead? Yeah, way ahead of myself, wow. off the track, completely unawares of how far off I was, but I thought I was, I had all figured out, but I had nothing figured out, to be fair. Um, and it was kind of, yeah, it was it was really brutal. I mean, I um, after that race, I just was, I just didn't know who I was. I lost everything. And I, I, I mean, it was a necessary um, chapter in my career. It was actually probably the most important because... I needed a jolt that, a, a significant enough jolt to really change not only my understanding of performance, but who I needed to become because I'd become the wrong sort of person. And I'd become that person because I felt that's what I need to do. But actually, um, I was just completely wrong. And so, um, and you think you do something for, I don't know, it was about eight years or nine years. You think you're pretty good at it. You won, you've won some races. And you kind of, you, you have a filter, right? You're filtering details and you think, yeah, that's in, that's out. And I know that's right and I've, and I've got all this experience. But the entire operating model had to change and it wouldn't have changed. Well, if we'd got 10th, if I'd got 10th in Sydney, I would have made some minor adjustments, but it had to be what it was because I had to change. I had to flip the whole thing on its head. And when I say I... Um, I'm talking, I mean, it's, it's, it's our entire team and, and the entire approach to what we're trying to do. Um, uh, but it was brutal. Like, um, yeah, I just, I was nearly, I probably nearly quit after that. I never wanted to go back to the Olympics. Um, you know, it's, the Olympics, is a, it's a brutal environment. You, you've got to go into it knowing that there's only three medals, um, a lot of people are there and, and have aspirations to do really well. A lot, lot don't. They're all trying to perform at their best. Most of them don't. You know, how do you reconcile that when you've worked your whole career to that, up to that point? And again, it's just a really, um, you saw it on TV in Tokyo, the highest high and the lowest lows. And so mm -hmm. it is a pretty, it's a pretty challenging experience to go through and still is for athletes, I think. Did the, I mean, there are plenty of others that don't perform there, but on, on that particular day, like Lessing only got ninth and there was others that didn't do well either. Did, did they have a, or did you talk to them about it and did they have similar experiences to you thinking it was a bit of a foregone conclusion? Um, I don't think it was a, the result. You mean the result was a foregone conclusion? Yeah, like Lessing, you know, he seems like the kind of guy thinking he'd go into every race thinking he's going to win it, and then he yeah. comes away and he only got ninth, and, and yep. you're, you were further down the field, but did, did they have that, I don't know, maybe a little bit of complacency as well? Yeah, I think it's, it's an event which is different, even though you try and make it the same, and I think um, for some of us, we just weren't prepared for what it was going to be like. We'd never... You know, we're an Olympic sport up until that point. You did have athletes like the, the medalists were probably hard to predict, but they had somehow just come in and raced and just been themselves, you know. I think sometimes you're often, you know, 
all humans have a major doubt in their ability when it comes, when the time comes. It's just a natural human you know, feature. And so uh, I think you can really easily lose sight of who you are and, and what works and you can start to do things which are a bit wacky. Um, you can start thinking things which are a bit weird and um, you can lose track of it all and suddenly you race and you just think, why don't I just enjoy it? Like, why don't I just stop trying so hard? But in hindsight, you know, you, you think you've got to do all those things. So it is really, really um, difficult. But I think, you know, even this Olympics and, and Rio Olympics and London Olympics, New Zealand as a high-performance system is getting much smarter at figuring out what's the best way to help coaches and athletes prepare for their Olympics. Um, there's conversations and there's things that you can do. And quite often it's trying to influence a coach and athlete to include something that they may be missing uh, with enough time to build that into their operating model so it becomes a real strength where they might have a major gap. Um, and it's kind of those looking for those things is what's kind of interesting about the work because each athlete's got their own jigsaw puzzle they're trying to figure out there's no answer it's just how can you get more pieces than your opposition in place on a given day and how can you deliver that performance and, and have a result that you're proud of and um accepting the fact that in a race things can be taken out of your control because you put yourself in a bad position or you can get in a crash or you can get a flat tire and I can list 20 things. But again, just trying to um, remove all those, those barriers as best you possibly can. So post, post Sydney, it's a pretty kind of depressing time for you. I don't know if depression is the word, but it was obviously a very challenging time for you. Uh, you, you kind of see there's kind of a total change in direction around how you approach things. So what was that shift and what did you learn and how did things change? I think, the first thing was, um, it was the slap in the face of the truth. Like, you can build up your not your understanding of yourself and think, well, I'm this good, I'm that fast, look all the races I've won. But the beauty of a performance under pressure, the result is the truth, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And I came to realize that, um, you know, I was being, I was where, I was exactly where I needed to be. Um, and, and I had, um, at that point, I realized I needed a different team, um, quite literally. And this when I started working with Chris Pallone. And Chris was amazing. He, I think some of the first things that he did was, um, after Sydney, kind of subtly actually, but he kind of kept talking to me about what was good about the race. Like, what did you learn from it? And I think what that did for me and him was we switched from a mode of blame and anger and hate and and upset and all the emotions that that flood in when you think about that race into a into a mode of like okay well that race provides the biggest lens on who 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 am i and who i who do i need to come to better win that race and what sort of athlete do i need to be and so we just were able to have quite honest conversations about that. Um, and, and, you know, one of the hardest things I had to do was uh, realise that I wanted to change coach. I'd never done that before. I had to sit down with Jack and it was really difficult um, because 
you know, I always envisaged that we would do this together. So, you know, here's a guy who's put uh, years and years of his life into helping you, and you say, well, I'm going to change, and you yeah, feel terrible. Yeah. It's real hard. But it's that's the point, right? It's not easy. None of it is easy. You've got to just go into it knowing it's going to be difficult. But when you feel something has to change, you've got to have the courage to do it. And Jack was amazing. He's like... He just immediately said, you've got to do this. And you've got to, if you need a new coach, you need to go out and work with a new coach. Um, there was no hard feelings. He just wanted the best for me, which is a pretty, pretty amazing you know, person. Because mm. he wanted it for me. Um, but I just had a gut feel that I needed to do it. I needed some fresh eyes on what I was doing. So fast forward four years, you know, we talked about your mindset basically uh, before Sydney and, and ha- when you're lining up in Athens, what, what's sort of going through your mind as you're getting ready to dive into the water? Yeah, so um, this is where the switch happened, right? Not, I'm sorry, not the switch on the day. This, this, the four years where I've been working on a whole different approach and um, it takes a lot of practice. And so I rehearsed it and rehearsed it and tried to figure out my mode that I wanted to be in for the Athens games. Um, So walking out onto the pontoon in Athens, um, my mindset was the opposite. Like there was really nothing in my head around a medal. Um, What I got, what I figured out was that I needed to get my uh, mind inside myself and be able to, deliver my performance and you know and that's a cliche but you're very much focused in on your process of delivery and so instead like in Sydney I'm thinking about a medal uh, in Athens I'm thinking about my performance and I'd learnt also to give myself a break and so I had a I practiced walking out of the pontoon smiling and looking around and just sort of taking it in and just recognizing that this is amazing and that I had no real control over the result that um, I need to let go of my ambition because it's just going to get in my way and I need to be free to race in myself like in my own mode Um, and so that's really what I stood there kind of focused on and if you stand on the start line and you kind of you you let the result go it's quite a terrifying prospect because you do know it's the olympics right and you do know that this is the race that counts and (laughs) you know there's layers of pressure but you're able to park it to one side and you know able to be free of it because it really just gets in the way so it's kind of a control piece around what do you what are you drilled into with your mindset um and and just give you give yourself permission to enjoy it a wee bit because you know you're going to race hard um anyway that, that's what i figured out i needed and it definitely worked i mean it was a i was a totally different person to be fair a lot so of other things changed yet i imagine um it would have been quite a well no no you tell me was it a very fun race to do because the, for people that haven't watched the athens olympics you basically did a lapse of this climb and when we're talking about a climb this is brutal like some athletes were literally swerving across the road it was that steep and Hamish you're amazing in the climb and climbing Bevan was was similar you know you guys were just such strength athletes was it quite a fun race as it it worked through or was it pretty stressful the whole way through I would say it's stressful I think um what was it like I 
when we got to about three laps into the bike course, I think I started to enjoy it because I had a, I had a badish swim. I was running quite well, so I swam, didn't swim that well. Um, anyway, I managed to get back to the front quite quickly. Uh, I think definitely Bevan and I were quite looking forward to what the hill would do to the race. Um, we had, yeah, the, the, the first lap, I think everyone was kind of pretty aggressive and there was a lot of, there was a few attacks. And then the second time at the hill, everyone was like, holy, that's really quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> everyone started to get quite conservative on the bike. And I don't know what Bevan, where Bevan was at, but I think, well, I'm pretty sure for both of us, every time we went up the hill, I, I definitely felt like we were getting control of the race. But you're also cautious, right? Because you don't know. Um, you don't really know how others are feeling. And you're sort of trying to read their body language and you're trying to have drink, drink good nutrition and you're trying to conserve as much energy as you can while you're trying to hurt the other guys. So you, you, um, you're trying to corner well and you're trying to... You're, it's a weird... You're trying to ride with them, but you want to disrupt them. You know what I mean? You're trying to make them tired. I know that doesn't sound very nice, but that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and so it was just, yeah, we, we were just able to wear the others down. And um, I think I didn't know really, it wasn't so much there was another New Zealander in the race, but um, it was it was enjoyable from that moment on after about three laps on the bike because I did feel like the hill was taking its toll and we were starting to get control or we were starting to, I was starting to feel stronger than those around us, which when I think there was a group of about six of us on the bike, which is a really nice size group to, to be able to work together with. On, on the run, uh, if we look at Tokyo recently, um, you could almost feel this huge weight lifted off the shoulders of the front three when it just came down to three of them and they're all going, sweet, I'm going to get a medal. It was somewhat similar in Athens from memory where it did come down to just three of you on the run. At that stage, for you, did you have that sense of, oh, holy shit, I'm going to get a medal? Or were you still focused on trying to be first? I reckon um, it's, it's funny. It's like, you know, I think I've probably told this before, but eight, about 800 metres to go on the run, well, we, with those three of us away, as you're right, and then Bevan had surged and the two of us kind of moved away from Sven, who was in third place. And Bevan... Um, kind of said something then he's like shit man we're going to get a medal here and, and that sort of surprised me a bit because I think what Jack had installed in me and and again the number number of failings that I'd have was of never winning a world champs um always second or third or fourth or fifth um it was it annoyed me enough to know that I I, I it never crossed my mind that I was there to get a medal. I had to win it. Um, I wasn't thinking about winning it, but I just wanted to be the first person across the finish line. And that, it's a, they're two different things in my mind. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to um, be yeah, the first athlete. And, and second or third was not, not an option. I was just not willing to... Uh, and it was, I don't know, maybe in, in the back of my mind, there was a sense that you've missed out on this every single time. And this is a, don't, this is a, just get it right. Like, 
mm. like do what it takes um you, you get you get the moment and you just have to take it and i don't know there was just a real deep determination i think that's what i had at, at the end of that race and did it, did it, give, you, did it give you an energy you know because like, you know you guys you're at the river you're, you know you're both pushing really hard yeah yeah, yeah did, did it kind of place just to give you a, another spark yeah it did i was um i know yeah. The best way I can probably describe it is like it's a deep anger. I, I guess that's what I would describe it as. Like I was kind of um, in a weird way. Like Bevan's a really good mate, right? He's a and he's he's a super athlete. But I was angry that he was still with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I didn't want anyone with me. I wanted to be the first. And um, and I knew that he would beat me in a sprint. Like so, I. I played a little game. I, I kind of said, I think, I think I've made a mark on the road. I didn't literally mark the road, but I decided I was going to be in the front at that point. And if I collapsed at that point, then I was going to collapse. But I was going to be the first person. And then if I got to that point, I'd probably be able to finish in front. Um, but it was, it wasn't quite that clinical, but it was, I don't know, I just had multiple versions of the way in which I was going to get to the front and be and stay there. Um, and I just, yeah, I guess, I guess that's the point I'm making is that I needed all those disappointments and I needed to be skillful as a person to be able to draw that, all those points together to give me that determination with 400 metres left in the race. Um, and, and it needed to be that because, um, yeah, on his given day, Bevan probably, if we'd raced the following day, he might have beaten me. Uh, you know, that's the nature of our sport. Um, or we might have not made the front pack. I mean, it's it's a, it's a highly variable sport. So, um, but yeah, there was there was a real determination there. Um, I even surprised myself to be fair. It was quite clinical. It was quite angry. Um, yeah, it was felt like something was in me rising up to say, "This is this is your race," um, and I'm not letting it, not letting someone take it. And if and if he had have taken it off me, I would have. The, it's not really about the winning. It was much more that I did lay down my a really good performance, and that's to be fair. That was my focus. Like that's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to lay down super good performance, and um, because I knew that. Yeah, I had to do that to be able to live with myself because Sydney was such a disaster. I knew I could do better. So I was trying to sort of get that to happen so I could feel satisfied with my performance, you know, representing New Zealand. So was being a was being an Olympic champion everything you'd ever hoped it was going to be? Um, it's a funny thing. I think it's amazing for what it means to the rest of New Zealand, which is a real gift. You feel like you've done something which means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, you, as much as you can, you want to share it with others so that they can get close to it. Because when I was a kid, I got to see up close those champions and sort of rubbed off on you a little bit. Mm. Um, there are definitely parts which you sometimes you wish you didn't, occur um uh, and those are some some different stuff but i think um no it's absolutely it's it's an amazing experience and you feel mostly privileged to to being able to have those things come together and 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 you and look for me the last 
probably 10 years um, working in sports still, you want that for someone else. You want others to have that come together because it's so hard and unlikely that it will come together. But when it does, it's it's a really special point in their life. And, you know, case in point, um, seeing Hayden's result in Tokyo was, yeah, one of the highlights of um, my work in sport because I know what it means to him and his family and everyone else in New Zealand. And I'm so, yeah, and Craig and his t- support team. So I'm so happy for them. You just feel like how amazing is that? He, he, he got a third place and it was so amazing. I was so stoked for him. You mentioned there were some challenging parts of being the medalist. What is that? Um, I don't know. I, I don't really like to talk about that too much because I don't want to break break down what looks to be always amazing. Okay. Um, but I think a couple of things. Um, I think you that's all you're ever seen as. Okay. And so it's the identity thing. Yeah, and that's okay because people are just people just want to congratulate you or and that's you know it's really nice. Um, but if you, the, the, the example I'd use, if you went to work one day and you did this phenomenal podcast, let's say it was the best podcast ever. We do that every week. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think of a yeah, but what you mean. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, and then you, and then you do all these other things and that that's the only thing people talk about. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, I've done a whole lot of other things as well and I've really tried hard at some other stuff and I've made mistakes and I've and I've made good contributions and and but it, it keeps coming back to that that one day and yeah. um and that's not a, so maybe it's not a bad thing um but um you know your life does go on and yeah, yeah you chant yeah and you you do different stuff now and and so I think that's but um, I'm not saying I'd change that. I just think um, it is what it is. Yeah, uh, maybe it's not a bad thing. I think it's just some things, it just lingers a bit and you think, yeah, um, you do tend to move on with your life and other things become important. Anyway, but yeah, um, yeah that's, that's one thing answer. I guess. Um, so you did a couple more years sort of on ITU circuit or now World Triathlon circuit. Did you ever think about going long? And if not, why not? Yeah, it did occur to me that that was a natural kind of next step, but um, I never had a, a split second desire to want to go long. I just, it just wasn't my, wasn't interesting to me. I've huge respect for what athletes can do over a nine man distance, and um, and I don't think I would have been very good at it either. So um, now, luckily, I think. I did spend the next two years racing as much as I could, as well as I could, but I knew the time, my time was up. I wasn't enjoying the sport. Um, I was tired, sick of traveling, but I knew I had to race until I had no more races in me. Cause once you're retired, I was never, you know, you long time retired and mm-hmm. uh, Rick Wells gave me some good advice around that. He said, when you retire, make sure you are, sick of this (laughs) because we're so lucky right you know I know it's hard and and it's sometimes you've got to deal with tons of disappointment and you're traveling and you 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 can't make any money and you all this stuff is really really hard but 
also, you know, athletes uh, live a, um, it's a privileged existence to follow your core dream of who you are and what you want to do. And while you're doing that, it's such an important lesson that I learned later that, man, that was cool. Like, it was hard, but I really, I, I had some amazing opportunities to do exactly what I wanted to do. And, um, and I think it's important to be, yeah, just grateful for that opportunity that you have, particularly from, you know, a country like New Zealand. Was retirement difficult for you? You know, we see a lot of athletes that go into retirement. And as you said, you've got that identity that you're kind of losing. I know with you, it's probably a bit different because you had that mantle of Olympic champion. But was retirement difficult? And, and what sort of path did you go down? Yeah, it was really difficult. But I think I'd learned at that point that in the difficult, there is the growth. And, mm. and so while I say it's difficult, I think that's, that's where um, the, real, the real good stuff happens. Like, like my Sydney experience, that was a terrible day, but it was that probably I grew more on that single day than I'd ever had as an athlete. And so as I progressed into working, it was hard, but I, I guess I'd learned to be that person that really embraced the challenge and every time it didn't, wasn't going as well as I wanted, I knew that I was growing. I mean, I went, I worked at zero for three and a bit years. Um, that was amazing. And then at Lion, uh, Nathan um, had, a, had really enjoyed working there. Um, worked in, a, in the Sir Peter Blake um, Trust, not for profit, for a few years. Um, and so at that point, I'd probably been 10 years outside of sport. I was sort of, I was asked to be on the board of the advisory group and then the high performance sport board when it was first formed. So I was sort of getting more involved back in sport and starting to work with some campaigns that had asked for some, that, you know, that sort of person to sit on the outside and just ask questions. Um, and I guess I was starting to spend more time back in sport than I was at my day job. And so, yeah, I ended up naturally going back into high-performance sport. And uh, again, I, I, like most, actually just about everyone who works in sport, um, they do it because, well, I know I did it, because you want um, others to feel that feeling of overcoming all the odds and, you know, delivering a performance on a day where it's just, it all comes together and it's a really special time and knowing how hard it is. So, yeah, it's been nice to be able to give something back in that regard. Awesome. Well, yeah. I do I always one question I ask at the end of these. Um, <clears throat> you know, like, how would you like to be remembered as a triathlete? Huh. I don't think we've ever been asked that. <laughs> Told you it was a... <laughs> um, I think... Um, I, I would like... I guess I'd like to be remembered as someone that um, gave as much as they got. Like, I think I've always felt a responsibility being a, a medalist in triathlon to have um, connected that to as many people as possible and so that in a bigger or small or insignificant way that another athlete could have um, been inspired by or they they go on to, to realise their goal, whether it's Olympic gold medal or just, just doing, doing a triathlon. But um, I think that would be um, how I'd like to be remembered. And, 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 and secondly, probably our sport and everyone who has the opportunity to take part in it um, just – 
is in the sport of triathlon taking part because it's it's amazing the friendships the challenges you overcome the growth you can get as a person those things are really special and we all know that that's what triathlon does for everyone and so um yeah i think that's pretty pretty special that that's what our sport does and and the fact that it is hard i think that's what makes it Mm. that's what makes it so intriguing and it gives so much to so many people Love your work. Awesome. I think you've achieved pretty much all those things already, but keep on cracking on. You're doing a great job with Try and Z. Uh, and how cool yeah. was it at the Olympics? But, you know, because I actually heard an interview of you on some radio station and you were kind of saying, oh, you know, we think Hayden go well, but actually, really, the next game is where we're going to get medals. Uh, yeah. How cool was that for you, you know, for just watching that race? Oh, it was super cool. I mean, I, I, the, 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 only, the only sentence I probably always avoid is ever saying that um, at this Olympic, such and such is going to get a medal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's so uncertain, like, and you, of course, all the work you're doing is to try and um, help others to get to that point. And, and then it's up to them. Um, and it's incredibly difficult. This Olympics was incredibly difficult to perform well at because of the, the difficulty of COVID, um, no international racing, travel was really hard. And there's all these athletes who did it anyway. And you're just kind of inspired by that because it's so incredible. Um, and I think for triathlon in particular, the group that we've got, and even those who weren't there, they're an amazing group of people and they're working so hard that, yeah, our sports, I think, um, is in a mode where it's, where it's learning how to operate together still still learning as a how do we kind of centrally base athletes and coaches and try and work together to get really cool results um and that's not an easy process it's going to be ongoing for years and years but you see the results now and New Zealand athletes are on the podium on the weekend I mean just how cool is that it's so exciting awesome love your work thanks so much for all your time yeah you're a legend thank you yeah. thanks guys Hopefully you enjoyed that interview and hopefully you got a lot out of it. Uh, as I was saying, obviously a bit of a legend, so it was great to have Hamish Carter on the show. If you want to support, I'm just going to wrap this up pretty quickly because I'm on holiday right now. So if you want to support the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com, uh, go through podcasts and become a patron. Thank you for those uh, patrons. If you want to run 5Ks, go to www.my5kdream.com. That's where I guide you through running 5Ks. Uh, you can also get my book at Bevan James Isles, and my new book is coming out in a few months. I'm pretty excited about it. So anyway, that's pretty much it. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season, and as we kick into 2022, let's make it an amazing year together. As always, keep being you, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Mm-hmm.